That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to yet another Nuggets home win over the Los Angeles Clippers. 134 to 124 on a late night Sunday evening, 8 p.m. start. Think about this. Like when I'm growing up on the East Coast, uh, and, and I can't say growing up because I, I wasn't watching basketball at nighttime growing up. Uh, but when I got into my, um, and, and by the way, the, the reason for that is, and I, I don't think I've ever shared this on the on the podcast, I don't want to get bogged down with it, but I, I grew up without a television from ages like 7 uh, through, through 17. There's like a 10-year period where we didn't have a, a TV, and when we did, uh, no cable. Um, so I was ingesting a lot of my basketball growing up. Um, through the newspaper, believe it or not, like someone who was born 40 years prior. No joke. Um, it was my mom. She didn't want one in the house after my dad moved out, and we're probably all better off for it. I was outside playing the game instead of watching it. Um, but once I became you know, older and you know, 18 years old, moved out of the house, never moved back in, and I was watching these games. That's why, that's why I bring it up. Like It'd be a 10 o'clock start Sunday night, and I'd be all sorts of fired up because I grew up a massive Kobe Bryant fan. And there I'd be waiting. Sometimes we do these eight thirty starts um, uh, that are that are seven thirty on the West Coast, but ten thirty Eastern. Um, and I'd just be like, just a okay, watching it till like one thirty uh, in the morning. Uh, and that's what that's what Sunday night was. It was a late start. It was a late finish. The game goes into overtime, and the Nuggets prevail uh, by a double digit victory, uh, despite having the game go into overtime. Um, I will share with you, I don't have notes. Um, I do not have one note. Uh, Everything is just going to be kind of off-the-cuff cuff, uh, freestyling here. And the reason for that is I just had a long weekend. My family, my wife's a little bit sick. Uh, I was getting my kids out of the house, doing a bowling uh, adventure and all this other stuff. Um, So by the time that Sunday night came and I got the kids in the bed, I'm just like, I'm just going to watch this one. just going to watch it. Uh, like anybody else. So uh, some of the more intricate details that I'd be sharing on these specific plays and matching it up with time score, um, just not going to happen. So anyway, here we go. Um, big time win for the Nuggets. Uh, the the night after what looked like one of the most uninspiring efforts uh, of the season uh, in Memphis, where the final score of 112-94 wasn't even really reflective to just how dominant um, that loss in Memphis was for the Grizzlies. I mean, it, it felt like they were down 30. Um, that's because the fourth quarter, the Nuggets won uh, that the, the last stanza, 32 to 18, and it kind of made it more respectable. Um, but really what was going on in that second quarter was was uh, the most reflective um, of the uh, actual temperature and, and tenor of that game. And it looked like uh, the, the team was just kind of uninspired. And I'm not used to seeing that a bunch from the Nuggets, but it's an NBA season. It's very much a marathon. So um, it's not that I just want to focus on the win and don't want to dwell on the negative. I just think that what what I take away from Sunday has just way more value of who the Nuggets are as a group than what they showed um, on, on Saturday, uh, on Saturday evening in Memphis. 
So you lose that game. When it was it was it was a struggle. I mean, it was just awful. Jamal was just terrible. Three of thirteen from the floor. Michael Porter Jr. was worse. I mean, he was just so just so hard to watch. So the Nuggets pack up their stuff. They take it on the chin, right? They go to they go to five hundred on the road. They come back home. Second night of a back to back, cross country trip. You have a team in the Clippers that are coming in here and. They're motivated because they were coming off that uh, historical overtime loss to Sacramento, uh, which took actually multiple overtimes. Uh, and there was a record point scored uh, in a game, 176-175, Kings prevail. So they're coming off a loss. They're motivated. Plus, you guys know the history. There's, there's real history. Now, let's just start there. I mean, the, the, the bubble stuff and the running sense, um, the stuff with uh, Jokic and... Um, uh, Marcus Morris, and there's just a lot there. The Jokic brothers getting involved, and then Marquis. It's just like we've seen we've seen this one. This, there's been some doozies here, right? But this is this is why I love it. Um, and you clearly saw the full blown effort from really both teams. You know that both teams really wanted to win this one. It's a national TV game on a Sunday evening. Uh, capped a great day of NBA basketball, by the way. Um, you know, broadcast nationally. Uh, but you look at, you know, some of the adjustments that were made and, you know, going small against Jokic with Batum and just how many minutes uh, uh, Michael Malone played. Uh, Jokic and Jamal Murray both played over 40 minutes. Michael Porter Jr. was around 40 minutes as well. So they wanted this one. I mean, it was it was obvious. And I just, um, I, I, I for, for several different reasons, um, I thought it was a, a another one of these signature wins. And these keep on stacking up. I thought they had just had one last week in Cleveland coming out of the All-Star break. And I feel like I've almost said signature win probably seven, eight times this year. Um, and I think every single uh, instance, it's been true. And I stand by it. Uh, despite the marathon nature uh, of, of the season, they have put together a real library of terrific wins. And Sunday night was no exception to that. Um, outside of uh, Zubak, they pretty much had everyone going there uh, with the Clippers. And I thought uh, Jokic was flat out tremendous. Um, it was one of these games where you weren't sure how it was going to go after a quarter or two. I mean, Nuggets got out to a big lead. I think it was 20-4, to four, um, which reminded me of the last time that the Nuggets played the Clippers, where they just absolutely dispatched them into the sun on national TV as well uh, about a month ago. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here's, here's, here's the rerun of this. But give credit to the Clippers. They came all the way back. I mean, they had a lead in this game uh, late. And that's why I that, that that's why I love the win. This was not a blowout win. This was a scratch and claw your way to victory, and it took everyone in different sort of capacities. And it obviously starts and ends with uh, Nikola Jokic, who has another yet another forty point triple double, absolutely insane. The third of its kind for uh, Jokic. He ended up having seventeen rebounds, guys. He had one rebound after the first quarter, had sixteen in the latter um, uh, three quarters and, and overtime. So he finishes with 17 rebounds, 10 assists, three steals, and didn't really turn it over. Like, the, the stat sheet says he had one turnover. I don't remember it. Um, whatever. Kind of just got lost, I guess. Um, but a 40-point triple-double with, you know, with, with one turnover is just insane. Uh, only collected two fouls, uh, by the way, as well. Uh, Jokic was great. Um a little bit of, um, I don't know how to frame the, the, the actual um, term, let's say controversy, that's, that's too much. But I know some people were upset 
um, or at least questioning his decision-making down the stretch uh, in regulation, uh, deferring to Bruce Brown uh, at the end of the clock. He's at the high post. They launch a double. He makes what he thinks is the right play. This conversation sounds like it's from 2005 or 2006 about LeBron James, this uber-talented superstar who is expected to make the scoring play like you saw from Michael or uh, uh, Kobe, and he would defer, right? And it would just drive people crazy, like, how the f- did he just pass to, you know, Larry Hughes in the corner, you know, with no time left? It was like, well, he was driving, and the three different players converged on him, and he made the right play. And just because Larry Hughes missed the shot or, you know, Delonte West missed the shot didn't mean it was the wrong play for LeBron. I kind of view it in the same sort of light for Jokic. Now, if this is a playoff game, and it's a high leverage moment. Do I want Jokic to maybe be more assertive and heavy handed offensively in that moment? Sure. Um, you know, could he go on to like a Sambor shuffle type in that moment? Sure. Um, but that wasn't the moment. So I, I'm I'm choosing to look at that sequence that was drawing some criticism um, through a vacuum. And it was a regular season game in February, and he made the right basketball play. That's what I don't want to get too far. Uh, away from that he made the right basketball play. If Bruce Brown makes the shot, no one's talking about this, and Jokic is actually lauded for drawing the double team and making the right play. But oftentimes, um, especially online, it's a results-oriented uh, reaction, and we sort of retroactively dictate um, or decide what uh, what what was the right play or not. So, But Jokic, look, you don't win that game without him, not even close. Uh, phenomenal. He goes 12 of 15 from the charity stripe. By the way, have you guys seen Jokic's arms these days? Like, he's always um, looked like he got in a cat fight, but man, some of these wounds are deep. Some of these wounds are, like, going to be around for a few years and are going to need a couple summers and a lot of lotion to, uh, 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 you know, have these things go away if some of them ever do. But if I'm one of these officials, like, and I'm Michael Malone, pregame, every game moving forward, um, I'm saying, hey, look at my guy's arms. Look at his body. Look at, uh, can you believe some of those weren't called fouls? Like, I'd be setting a tone like that uh, every single pregame uh, for, for my star center here moving forward. Um, really happy for Michael Porter Jr. Let me just take a second and just say, just really happy for this young man who was phenomenal in a game on national TV. And I don't have his exact you know numbers and haven't done the research, but just like anecdotally, Michael Porter Jr. has not played great in some of these um, games against high-profile opponents that are on national TV. But in 39 minutes, that young man went for, for uh, 12 of 18 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3, got to the line once on an and one, had 11 rebounds to go with 29 points. He was a plus 17 when he was out there. No one had a better plus-minus on the Denver Nuggets on Sunday night at home against the Clippers than Michael Porter Jr. did. And he hit a massive three at the end of regulation. You guys will probably remember the play. Super disjointed. Ball ends up in the backcourt. Jamal Murray has to literally launch one from half court and give all the credit in the world to Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Did not quit on the play and found a way to secure an offensive rebound. It ends up in the hands of Michael Porter Jr. And it was a massive three to take a lead and a high leverage moment down the stretch of that game. It ultimately helps uh, the Nuggets propel themselves to to a tie game into overtime. And he hit another monster three in overtime that directly impacted a win for Denver. That is a big-time moment for a player that has um, had an up-and-down career, 
has had a um, major, major life event happen to him this year with his brother Corman, a member of the DU men's basketball team, and a horrible mistake he made in the middle of the night, and someone loses their life. And I just never want to look past that and mention that without talking about the victim because that person's not coming back, and it's something that um, Corbin and his family um, and the victim's family are going to have to live with forever. Um, But I mentioned that 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 is, I mean, you talk about a distraction. Him and his brother are really, really, really tight. And you could imagine some of the thoughts and low moments that that family has had this year. Um, Obviously, again, just a a preface because I feel just awful. No no, no lower moment than the the victim's family, of course. Um, But he's using basketball as a sanctuary. uh, And for him to have a moment uh, for himself in that kind of spotlight, I thought it was a signature moment for him uh, as a basketball player. Uh, Coming off a game where he was absolutely putrid um, in Memphis on Saturday night where he scores five points. Um, but you look at the last month, Michael Porter Jr. is really rounding a corner. Now, it sounds like an oxymoron because he's coming off a game where he had five points, and I'm about to use the consistency word. But we're going to continue to shed light on Michael Porter Jr.'s um, rounding mostly into form. If you look at the games in February, move retroactively from the five-point Saturday night. Um, we know he scored 29 on Sunday, but prior to that, Against Cleveland, 25 points, 22 points, 17, 14, 12, 30, 22, 23, 17. He has had a terrific month. He is averaging almost 20 points a game in the month of February. Um, He's shooting an efficient lead from three at 40%. He's shooting almost 50% from two. He's had a really good month, guys. And you just got to hope that this is the version that we're going to see this spring when... The Nuggets season is on the line. And we talked about in the last episode, we've talked about it for years. Michael Porter Jr. sort of represents the ceiling of this basketball team. And it's just wildly encouraging that he is as active as he is on the glass, that he's shooting it this well. Um, This is a guy who's also um, coming out of his cocoon a little bit um, with the one-dimensional style that he has played with. You can tell, uh, we've talked about this in recent weeks, Specifically, like the last two weeks, he looks like uh, it looks like a more confident body, just moving around, less thinking, more reacting. And the number one thing that comes to mind with MPJ in that regard is that guys are freaking flying at him to close out on him. They have to do this because of what we've already talked about and who he is from three. And he is now a parlaying those sequences into drives, into pump fakes, getting to the basket. Again, we've talked about this for about the last month or so, but we're really seeing it come up in spades here in the last few weeks with his willingness to stick his nose in there, whether it's to create an and one opportunity, to explode to the rim in traffic. Um, and I just really like what I'm seeing, and I'm seeing it on a more regular basis, and I just think that's a really, really good thing. Um, I'm also not getting carried away, okay? I'm also not getting carried away. What is getting carried away with Jokic? Or Jokic. Can't get carried away with Jokic. Um, my colleague here at the fan, Darren McKee, DMAC, saying that Michael Porter Jr. is a bona fide superstar. Um, to me, that's just unwise to go there. Uh, he's not a top 50 scorer in the NBA. Um, he's having a really nice month, and it looks like a really nice season. 
But to leap to superstar, it, 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 it doesn't do Michael Porter Jr. any favors. It really doesn't, in my opinion. Um, hopefully this guy can be an all-star at some point. When it comes to superstar, there's, in my opinion, about uh, maybe five or six of those in the NBA. If you want to be really generous and say that there's 10 superstars, um, you can. I just don't go there because I think it dilutes what superstar means. Um, Jokic is a superstar. Embiid is a superstar. Iluka is a superstar. Dame Lillard is a superstar. 71 points. Holy moly. Jason Tatum's a superstar. LeBron's a superstar. Is John Moran a superstar? Sure. I'll give it to you. Now we're up to seven. Is Donovan Mitchell a superstar? Eh, that's where I kind of draw the line. If you want to put him in and say there's eight, okay. But then, like, is Jalen Brown also a superstar? All-star, yeah. Superstar, no. Is Julius Randle a superstar? No. DeMar Rosen a superstar? No. Like, no. So I have a delineating line, what is and what isn't. Here's what, like, I don't hear any basketball people say, that, that Michael Porter Jr. is a superstar. Like, imagine Michael Porter Jr.'s name being thrown at the end of that list we just did. Where it's like Luca, uh, Joel Embiid, Dame, Giannis, Jokic, Tatum, Michael Porter Jr. Like, no, that doesn't sound right because it's not right. So we just had a little back and forth on air, and I, I just uh, it drives me crazy um, as he can do sometimes. But um, I, I, I don't think I don't think that's um, I don't think that's properly framing who he is as a player. Doesn't mean we can't be wildly encouraged about who he could become. Maybe he could become a superstar. Um, I'm just I'm down for hey, let's just continue to maybe average 19 points uh, of, uh, for for the next month, just like this last month. Um, I'd be good with that. Um, I'd be good with maybe an all-star debate next year um, if he's healthy, right? I mean, the guy's played less than 200 games, so you, uh, in my opinion, you just can't just triple jump uh, from, hey, is this guy going to be traded at the deadline with this contract to three weeks later, hey, he's a superstar. Uh, can't go there. Um, but hopefully on time, uh, my, my, my opinion changes, which is night after night um, with, with MPJ. Um, okay. D-Max in my head. Goodness. All right, uh, what else here uh, from the uh, Sunday evening win over the Clippers? Um, the Nuggets now move to 28-4 and four at home. That is insane. That is as blistering of a team at home, and this is why the number one seed uh, is just, just officially matters. Um, it's a really tough place to play, and the Nuggets are the best version of themselves uh, when they're in Denver. Uh, so, I mean, this was a... I mean. Think about this. I didn't think Jamal Murray played great. Doesn't mean he didn't hit big shots. Like, both of those things are true. Like, the entire full scope of Sunday night for Jamal, didn't think he played great by his standards, right? Had an impact on the game, but didn't play great. Aaron Gordon, rough night, didn't play great. Uh, Really struggled, was inefficient, um, just not great. Uh, I mean, had some assists, but took bad shots. 0 for 5 from 3, finishes with 6 points. I'm saying this because... The bench didn't what wasn't some best version of themselves. They were just okay at very best, which is kind of what you're looking for. Aaron Gordon doesn't play great. Jamal doesn't play great. And you're still beating who many believe is a real bona fide NBA championship contender with one of the most, um, you know, uh, well thought of coaches in the NBA. And they really wanted to win. And they still couldn't get over uh, the hump that is the Nuggets at home. 
I still think uh, this this bench unit is under review. All right, it's very early in this process. New moving parts: Reggie Jackson, Thomas Bryant. I haven't been uh, overwhelmingly impressed. Um, if you have, you're watching something different than me. Uh, but I'm still very receptive to what this group could be. I mean, what are we three games into this experiment? So let's let these guys get comfortable. Let's let's get a couple practices in. Let's try to establish. Uh, the roles and actions and who you are as a group. And it's just impossible to add water and stir and get there uh, right now. Would you like to see a little bit better? Yeah, of course. Um, but let's let's be patient on that. Let's be patient. Okay, um, that's where we're going to leave it for now. Uh, next up on the schedule is at the Rockets. Now, and before we go... Um, if you remember, Jamal Murray had a lot of success against the Rockets earlier in the season as he was making his way back to um, uh, a healthy self or in a confident self. And we were hoping, and that was like maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 to 25 games into the season. I was hoping, because Jamal struggled here a little bit since, since the All-Star break, all right? I was hoping that we would see Houston get used again as sort of like a lubricant for Jamal to get him back right. Um, But then he had back spasms. He had back spasms on Sunday evening. And until we get an update, I don't know what to think, but I will tell you my concernometer is already just probably at a baseline with Jamal at like a five. I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. Back spasms, not good. They can return. I remember Tracy McGrady just could not get past them. Um, the back spasms. Anytime that there's a back in general, you know, I get I get leery. Um, but I was really hoping coming out of the break that Jamal would get a team like Houston, which has this season just given up massive point totals. And if you remember, um, I referenced it early in the in the year. He had uh, uh, 31 points, which at that point was a, a season high. It still might be actually. Is 31 still a season high for Jamal? Um, no, because he got to 32 against the Pelicans more recently. But anyway, he had 31 points against Houston, followed by um, a 26-point night, so a really nice outing. And then you see who he's been uh, shooting the basketball post-All-Star break. Um, 6 of 19 against Cleveland, 3 of 13 against Memphis, 8 of 22 against the Clippers. So he's struggled. 36% from the floor, 23% from the floor, 30% from the floor. Um, I don't think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to play. Uh, based on just the, the the physical reaction I saw him have at the end of the Clippers game, hopefully I'm wrong. Um, I don't think I am. If you're going to rest him, it might as well be uh, uh, Houston anyway. So we'll we'll keep our ear to the ground on that one and just what that looks like. That next game is on Tuesday evening on the road in Houston, and then it's a big boy matchup on Friday night at eight o'clock here Mountain Time on ESPN against the Memphis. Grizzlies. It'll be the last time they play Memphis this year. Obviously, coming off the blowout loss we talked about earlier in the weekend, that is a, I believe, a litmus test game. I think you're going to see the best of the Nuggets, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to assume because it's at home, coming off a loss to Memphis a week ago, I think you're going to get the best shot from Denver, and they win that game. So here they are, um, winners of five of their last six. They are 43 and 19. They are a whopping 28-4 at home, uh, best home team in the league, uh, and they uh, maintain control over that number one seed in the Western Conference. A full five and a half games up 
on Memphis. Okay, we'll leave it there for now, guys. Hopefully this podcast finds you well. Uh, Please rate five stars. Tell a friend if you think we deserve it. Uh, And whatever happens on Tuesday evening in Houston, and then followed by Memphis a little bit later in the week, you already know. We're going to be talking about it right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.